Welcome to the Visions Blue Podcast, where we discuss all things media, using media as a tool to create your own narrative. Check us out. Thanks for joining the conversation as we talk with James T. Alfred, actor who's been on such shows as The Blind Spot and Empire. Well, if you want to be an actor, I say you should start acting. And um, uh, that means just, I think you should go to your local community theater and get in the play um, and start there. Uh, learn the theater, learn um, you know, the basic stage, left stage, right, upstage, downstage. Um, learn or experience, I should say. Uh, learn through experience of working with a director, um, designers, lighting, sound, and how, how to make theater. But if, it's, if theater is not something, you know, I, I want to be an actor, but I, I want to be a creative, acting, writing, producing, directing, but it's not in the live theater space, television and film. Find your local college that has a film and television program. Go to that college. Find you uh, the department head and start building relationships there. Learn who are the directing students, who are the... The, the crew students and see if you can get on sets and learn how television is made, learn how films are made. Um, uh, um, get that education hands-on through experience. And I think uh, not only will you you educate yourself on how to create in this space, but I think you'll narrow down where you want to where you want to work in the creative process and creating in that space. Now, what about for those people who may not have the money to go to college? Do you think there are outlets for them? Yes. I mean, my suggestion is not, you don't have to go to the school. Yeah. I mean, like, physically go to the school, find the department department head, and just start building relationships with the, with the students that okay. are enrolled in that school. If you don't have money um, to, to go to school, I mean, the best school is, I think, experience. Yeah. You know? When I, I give you a prime example, when I started producing theater, uh, I had this one-man show that I didn't even know how to write a play, I didn't know how to produce a play. A buddy of mine talked me into putting up a one-man show. Mm-hmm. I wrote the show down in word process narrative form. I had no idea. I didn't know why a script was even important. When I, I knew that the theater, the Athenaeum Theater on the north side of Chicago was a place that they rented theater spaces out to people, I just called the guy up and said, I want to I wanna, uh, do a show. And he started asking questions. And from there, you know, like, well, what is the show? How long do you need the space for? This is this, what size do you need? You know, at the time, I didn't know what I was doing. I got the smallest theater I could afford rented that space, and then I got in the space, and uh, I, you know, I was looking around, I was like, wow, it was a black box, it was just yeah. blank. And I'm like, oh man, I'm, I'm, gonna be, I'm gonna do this up here. And, excuse me, but then I looked up and there were lights. Well, how do you turn the lights on? <laughs> and then I saw this ladder and I climbed up and there's, there's this board and I started playing with the lights. And then I realized after I turned the lights on, I got fancy, I wanted to put some I wanted to make some blue and some white. And so I would go up to the board and I said, you know, I need somebody up there 
to do this while I'm down here. Right. That's a lighting operator. Right. And then later on down the line, when I actually, um, I put the show aside, and then my primary collaborator, Lou Bellamy, he has a theater where I'm a member of Saint, in St. Paul, Penumbra Theater, and they were looking for some inexpensive programming. And so he asked if I had, I, I, I suggested solo shows. He asked if I had a solo show. I said, yeah. He said, can I read it? I had never written a thing down. <laughs> and back it up a little bit. So once I got that show up in that little black box, yeah. I, people started, I invited people. They came in, they were coming. But when I got so nervous when I was backstage getting ready to, I forgot everything I wanted to talk about. Oh my God. That I had written. So I, I wrote a little note card and put bullet points and I just put them on, on top, a stool on top of the stage. That was my first experience of making theater. But I still didn't write it down because I didn't know how to write a script. Then later, as I became a professional theater practitioner, I learned, you know, just reading plays, format and all that. He asked for this play. He said, do, do you have a play? Can I read it? I said, yeah, I'm doing some rewrites. I had to go and bang out the whole script from the top of my head, just remember what I had done over the years with this show, and gave it to him, not knowing whether or not you know, it was going to be good. But he, he got it, he liked it, and then he helped me develop. That's how, that's how, that's how I learned it. Relocated to New York, um, going, to, going to my third year. Um, so um, I guess New York-based now. I'm still a Chicago actor, but I'm, I'm New York-based. Um, the focus more on television. So I've um, signed with a new agent, um, Hardin Curtis, which is um, it's been working out very well. I'm going to re-sign with them when I go back for another three years. Um, it's been it's been moving, you know, slow but steady, and um, it was like a, a drastic shift once I signed with a little legitimate uh, of some real representation. Um, initially, I was with a manager that couldn't quite get me in the rooms that I wanted to get in. Um, and what I, rooms were those? Um, well, I guess, yeah, I should back up to that. Um, but just, just doing television, you know, more television. Um, the goal is to get a show. It'll be a series regular on a, on a network television show. And so you got to get in those rooms. And uh, so recently I, I did FBI, which is a CBS Dick Wolf show on CBS. Um, the Blind Spot, which is on NBC. Uh, the Blacklist, which is an NBC show. Um, and of course, there's a recurring role that I have on Empire, um, whenever they call. So, so far it's been like two episodes a season. Um, I wasn't, good, I wasn't right? in season four. I was only in one, two, three, and five. Yeah. Okay. All right. But, but, hey, four out of five is not bad. It's not bad. It's not bad. <laughs> you can't eat on it, but you, you know, it, it's good to be seen. That's right. <laughs> now, tell me, tell me a little bit about how you started in acting and why. It's funny. I was just talking about this today. Um, I, well, growing up, you know, we do these little summer programs uh, with this lady, um, a very wonderful woman named Linnell Morgan, uh, who I met uh, in my elementary school. I'd done a, 
what do you call them? Some people call them forensics, but it was an oratory competition uh, in eighth grade. This girl named Celeste, was it Celeste? Celeste Williams, I think her name was. She used to do these, these oral, she used to represent the school in this oratory competition every year, and she'd win. She'd win these big trophies. And this one year, she, she couldn't do it or didn't do it, and um, the speech teacher asked if I would do it. And we worked on these poems. Um, do Not Go Gentle Into That Good Night by Dylan Thomas and Runnegate, Runnegate by Robert Hayden. And I, I represented the school and won the district. But I, at that time, I was really interested in playing basketball. I was going to be a professional basketball player. So oh, that was your goal. That was the goal, okay. to be you know Michael Jordan had okay. come on the scene. So everybody <laughs> wanted to be like Michael Jordan. Um, so I, I bust my tail, worked my tail off just to kind of get become average um, basketball player. I mean, I'm not 6'5". I'm, I was 5. When the dream came in my head, the idea came in my head, I think I was 5'5 five, five at the time and 130 pounds wet, soaking wet. But that was the thing. I wanted to be a basketball player. Okay. Um, and I, I won that competition, you know, and just wanted to kind of be around school, just being busy, you know. Wanted to be seen, wanted to be involved. Um, so I did that competition, and then that was it. That was it. I had no other foray into theater or anything. But this lady, she had a summer program, Linnell Morgan, um, who I met at Carnegie and through uh, Miss Podell from the oratory competition. And she gave me like a, what she called a scholarship to her program um, for the summer. And we did some scenes from Shakespeare, like Romeo and Juliet. And so that was my first kind of deal with it. Okay. But I didn't really pursue it at all until I got to... I finished college, I was working, and then I met a woman, this sounds so cliche, but she was a temp worker, and we were talking at the water cooler. And what, what kind of job was that? Uh, I was doing, doing sales and marketing for a company called FMC. Okay. Big, um, huge conglomerate. They're known for the Bradley fighting machine and all the jet wave, earth moving equipment and stuff like that. But I was in their chemical products group of their phosphates division. Okay, so you met a temp uh, worker. Met the temp worker. And we were just talking about what would, what would we do if we weren't working at FMC. And I said, you know, well, I used to want to play basketball, but that's, that's not happening. Um, tore my ACL up in college and all that. I said, but I think, you know, I thought about acting, you know. I thought about acting. And she's like, well, you, should, you should do it. She said, that's interesting because I have a friend. He's a director. And he was directing a production of Romeo and Juliet at a theater called the Displains Theater Guild, which is about 15 minutes from my house okay. at the time. And she said, I'm going to call him and see if, you know, if he's looking for people. And she called him and got me an audition. And I went and audition and got cast as Tibble. And I did that production. And then um, after that, I did a production of The Elephant Man and something else. But that was it. You know, I didn't think about doing it professionally. And then I went to see a play at the Goodman Theater called Jitney by August Wilson. Mm-hmm. And it blew my mind. Completely blew my mind. I'd never seen black life celebrated with such magnitude, theatrically, dramatically. I, I mean, I was sitting in a, in a theater full of white people, and I'm looking at them like, do, do y'all see this? Do, are you seeing this shit? Do you see what's happening on the stage here? And um, because it was just people, just ordinary people that I knew from my neighborhood, and I, characters, that is, that I could recognize from my neighborhood, my uncles, my family, um, just ordinary men, just, but he had lifted these people to extraordinary heights. I never 
seen the majesty and the 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 humanity of these people before mm. in theater or film or anything and it blew my mind and I said I remember just being stunned and then he came back the, the Goodman Theater did another production of his called uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom with my good friend Harry Lennox Harry J. Lennox playing a character named Levy and I saw that production, and that was that was it. I said, I'm, I'm going to do this. I want to do this. It wasn't that I wanted to be an actor. I wanted to be a part of that celebration of black life. And, and I was like, this, this, is, this is what I need to be doing. And uh, so I started, I started really, you know, so I left the corporate world. Well, not completely, because I, I went from FMC to Minolta, and I was still kind of doing some stuff. And also, I, I, saw, I, I saw a guy named John Leguizamo do this one-man show. And I thought that was really cool to be on stage by yourself telling these stories. And I thought about all the stories that, that I had in my head uh, that I would often share with friends over phone conversations. And they'd just be cackling and like, oh, man, you should do something with this. Um, but there's one guy in particular, uh, a good friend of mine named Joe Gibson, would always tell me, uh, you, you, should, you should do a one-man show. You should do a one-man show. You should tell these stories. You should do it. I'm like, I don't even know what I'm doing. What are you talking about doing a one-man show? So he actually convinced me to actually put up a one-man show. Um, and, but, you, and at that time, you had done one? So, so, so no. So, so I saw the August Wilson thing, and then <clears throat> I started getting serious about you know, acting and, and being in, in the business. And uh, so I started doing, I did, I went from the Spines Theater Guild and then I said, well, then I went to see some shows at, at ETA Creative Arts Foundation over on 76th Street in Chicago, uh, here in Chicago. And um, it, it was black theater. And I was like, wow, this is, this is, this is really cool. I'd never been introduced, I mean, I don't come from a home or family that art and culture was a regular part of our lives. Um, church was it. Okay. Um, so going to the theater was something new to me, and to see these plays with these people on stage and, and costumes and telling these really cool stories about black people, that was fascinating. So that was my goal then to come and try to work at ETA, and I auditioned and got cast in a play at ETA, and okay. I did I think two or three plays there, and then I did a play um, with a company called Impact. Um, with my good friend Alana Arenas, who you'll be seeing on an upcoming television show, by the way. Um, we did a play called uh, Sost about the, it was kind of a take on Three Sisters by uh, uh, Chekhov, uh, but it was it was about three Ethiopian sisters um, set in um, Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, or set in America, but based on these, these sisters from Addis Ababa and their, their family. Uh, and then after that, I, I auditioned and got cast as an understudy for a production at the Steppenwolf Theater in Chicago. And then I got, I, I got really serious and was like, okay, I'm acting, but I don't really know what I'm doing, and I, I want to study this now. And so, again, not knowing what all that is, um, uh, I knew about the Yale School of Drama because I knew August Wilson um, worked with a man named Lloyd Richards, who was the artistic director of the Yale School of Drama at one point, um, the late, great Lloyd Richards. And I know Meryl Streep and Angela Bassett came out of Yale, so I said, well, let me just go to Yale. Okay. 
And um, uh, I started, you know, finding, like, well, how do you do that? You know, researching the application process, the audition process, and all that. But I didn't know anything about the whole phenomenon of going to a conservatory. A friend of mine, Francois Batiste from Chicago, went to Juilliard, and I didn't even know Juilliard had an acting, a drama division. I thought it was all dance and music. Uh Um, But he had gotten into Juilliard. And then I heard NYU, and but by that time I had applied to Yale. I was like, okay, I'm going to go to Yale. Yale is it's an Ivy League school, um, uh, which is kind of prestigious. And I know Meryl Streep and Angela Bassett. And I don't know who went to NYU. I don't know who Juilliard. I just know <laughs> Yale you know, was the spot Yale for was you. The spot. Okay. I auditioned at like two or three callbacks, but I didn't get in, and I was devastated because I didn't know what the hell to do. Um, and my friend Harry, Harry Lennox, uh, who was mentoring me at the time through the whole process, uh, he said, I know, I, you, you should just go back to the Palm House. What happens, they have a, what they called, um, they have ERTAs, the Unified Resident Theater Auditions, that are in the same place where all these schools that have the, that offer the MFA programs or the conservatories um, that offers an MFA, they all audition on the same day. They do these national tours. They'll go to San Francisco, Chicago, New York. And it's usually at the Palm House. Okay. And so there's like 2,000 people, students or, or potentials trying to get into maybe 50 programs, um, if that if that many. That's the urges, but the, the actual ones you have to kind of apply to and get invited to audition are like the Juilliards, the Yales, the NYUs. Well, I was going to go and just audition for anybody just so I could get it out of my system and then go on with my life. And um, I auditioned for uh, Delaware where Steve, uh, Steve, um, Steve Harris came out of Delaware's program because okay. they were just there. Anybody that would take, I auditioned for Rutgers. So it's multiple schools. Every, there's a bunch of schools right there. Okay. Um, but not all of them allow you to walk in, like the Juilliards at NYU's. and um, Most of them will let you walk in on the last day. I, now, this is the stuff I'm finding out in, the, in hindsight. As long as you pay that application fee, you know, let you walk in and take your money. Gosh. But usually you have to, like the, the top 10, 15 schools that are ranked in the top 10 or 15 programs in the country, they don't take the you just have, you have to apply and do a whole process. Well, the night bef- the, after I auditioned for Delaware, Rutgers, Penn State, just whoever would let me walk in, I saw a table uh, that said the Moscow Art Theater School, the Mahat, at Harvard University. Like, mm. you know, Harvard had a program, but I got the brochure, and I started reading it on the train home. And I was really impressed with it because Harvard's program was in partnership with the Moscow Art Theater School. The Moscow Art Theater School is where all the dramatic training started in the West, all Western dramatic training started. Okay. Lee Strasberg, Uta Hagen, Stella Adler, all those people went to Moscow, to the Mahat, with Stanislavski and all the, or and later he was, I mean, Stanislavski's been dead for a while, but... They went there, learned the thing, and came back. And that's where you get this thing called method acting from. They came with their own. So I thought, why, you know, go through a, a middleman? Just go right to the source. I was like, this is this is really cool. Like, but then I'm like, ain't no black people in Russia. What am I going to do in Russia? <laughs> uh, 
So, yeah, and, and so I saw that program. And the next day, I'm, like, walking around the halls, and I'm, I went back over to Harvard's table, and I saw a video of the program. And it was, like, this real avant-garde type of stuff. I'm like, this is weird. This is interesting, though. And some lady who I would later work with named Janet Zarish, I didn't know her name at the time, asked me, was I auditioning for NYU? And I said, no. She said, you should. But at the time, I had no money, and I knew I would have to pay an application fee for somebody. So it was NYU, and then I, I was really, this Harvard program was really kind of piquing my interest. And I'm literally standing at the table, and, um, and I asked the lady, she said, are you you're going to audition? I said, well, I didn't apply. She said, don't worry about it. We'll take walk-ins. And I said, oh, okay, let me think about it. So I went. You had to think about it. Yeah, I had to think about it. I said, because well, I only had one check that I was going to bounce. You know, <laughs> uh, I didn't want to bounce two checks. Um, and so I called my buddy Joe and I said, man, you know, I got to audition for Harvard. And I think this lady from NYU asked me to come and audition for them. And Harvard got this cool program that's in Moscow. And uh, he said, well, you know, it is Harvard, you know. Like, what, what do you mean? It's like, I don't, they don't know for acting. Say, like, dude, I don't care if it's basket weaving. It's Harvard. And I was like, well, I guess you got a point. And it's funny, I wasn't really impressed with that, but I, I, but I did tell my mother one day, years ago when I was a kid, I said, I'm going to go to Harvard University. Okay. And I thought about that. It's funny. So I'm walking, walking, and I come, and I'm at standing at Harvard's table. It's NYU here, and Harvard was right here. And the lady says, uh, she comes out, she said, who's next? And the lady at the table looked at me, she says, <laughs> I said, uh, I guess I am. <laughs> and then she said, you're going to audition? She said, yeah. She said, well, just use a check for $65, cash your check. I wrote my little check for $65, and I auditioned. And I, again, I was doing it just to get it all out of my system um, because I didn't get into the and I was kind of crushed. Okay. Um, and I auditioned, and I got ready to walk out of the room. And a guy named Scott Ziegler, who was the head of the program, uh, he stopped me and he said, sit down, let's talk. And he says, um, you're clearly an established actor here in Chicago. Why do you want to go to school? I said, I need something. I don't know, really know what I'm doing. I'm, you know, I'm flying without a, kind of blindly here. He said, well, whatever you're doing is working. Um, you're really talented. And, but you want to go back to school with, with 20 year olds, you know, there'll be people in your class that's like 24, 25. I said, well, they can learn something from me. I can learn something from them. From them. And, uh, he said, well, okay. So thanks for, I'm glad you stopped in. And then I, I left and didn't think anything else about it. And I start hanging around the NYU table again. And I'm like, well, should I, should I do this? I said, nah, man, I, I bounced, this check is going to bounce so high. <laughs> um, you can't be doing that. Um, so I I left, and about two days later, I got a call from a woman named Julia Smeliansky, who was the uh, head of the, she was the executive director. She said, I want to offer you a spot in our class, 2006 class. I said, listen, lady, uh, I'm, I'm happy. Thank you very much, but I can't pay for this. I don't know, I don't know what I mean. She says, oh, don't worry about it. We'll, well, you'll figure it out. And we'll, Wait a minute. No. You got an offer, and you your initial response? Yeah, I said, I can't pay for this. It's $109,000. I, I said, who, how, do, how do you pay for this? Mm. 
and okay. and she said, um, well, you, you'll figure it out, and we'll, we'll 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 you got in, so we'll make sure you can pay. So I said, I guess I'm going to Harvard. That and how long was that program? Two and a half years. Okay. Yeah, two and a half years from nine a.m. in the morning to nine at night, nine at night, six days a week. Wow, that's uh, intense. Uh, yeah. You, all you're doing, you're doing voice. It's a conservatory. It's so you're working on your voice. You're working on text. You're working on acting. You're working on movement. Um, so you're singing. You're doing ballet. You're doing yoga. You're doing rhythm. rhythm. Um, and the Moscow program was, was is a little un, kind of different than most of other programs that have all that stuff, but they kind of add a few things because it's... Um, it's based on their aesthetic. If you were telling stories and to the Russian public, um, and rooted in the Stanislavski philosophy that you know, and and Meyerhold and and all these people, um, Anton Chekhov, I mean uh, Michael Chekhov, all these people that that different acting philosophies. The body is a complete instrument, and you act with your full body. Some people think you just act with your face and. So all different, several different techniques. Masks work, mask work. Um, um, and was this in Russia? Uh, so we spent the semester in Moscow. Yeah, okay. went to Moscow for a semester. So the program is structured in two ways. Uh, you have the American component, then you have the Russian component um, combined. So um, we started out working with the with the Russians, and then we went to Moscow to continue our training with the Russians. And then we came back year two to for the American portion of the training, and then the rest is just kind of performance. Did it make so, you feel like a totally different person when you finished? Uh, yeah, I was completely insane. I wanted to just kill everybody and get, get the <laughs> hell away from um, Harvard. Uh, that was a tough time for me in that in a tough period of my life because it was I was the only black person in my class, only black male in my class, um, and you know, like America, it. It, it was a microcosm of America. It was everything around you reminded you of the, the, the body politic that was defining self, defining the world for you, and um, reminded you who was empowered, you know, and who was, who, who, ha who was holding all the marbles. You know? So there was a struggle every day to remember that I mattered and my stories are just as rich and as universal as anybody, even more so than theirs, I think. Um, because there was nothing there to reinforce that. Yeah. You know, so you had to and I carried I carried Jitney, August Wilson's Jitney in my back pocket. In my bag, my every around me. I didn't even realize it. A friend of a classmate of mine pointed it out. She said, You've been carrying that since you've gotten here. Mm. And I didn't realize that was my touchstone. Yeah. Of who I was and why I was doing what I was doing. Several occasions I called friends. It's like I'm about to quit. I'm 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 done with this shit. I got to get out of here. I'm gonna kill somebody. Um. But it, you know we got through it and. Um, how many How many students were there in the class? They take eighteen. Okay. Most of these programs take eighteen students. Eighteen, twelve to eighteen students. And what percentage would you say were? Um. You. Um, they take 18 out of, I think the most, the most popular programs see about five to 7,000 students audition. 
Okay. And what was the makeup of that 18 ethnicity? Um, it's, it's equally divided with men and women. You got nine men, nine women. Um, for you can have a company partner, so each person can do uh, a, a, um, a gender scene, um, if you would, a male-female scene. And they're, they're, they take like one of something, like a redhead, a blonde, a brunette, uh, tall, a short, a wide, a black, a Latino. You know, <laughs> you know, you know that's how you do it. Um, so I was the black male. Then there was one black female, um, and you're you're probably in the top four percent, four to five percent of people that they've seen to get into the program. Well, that's so a great out of, accomplishment. Yeah, I mean, so out of about thousand people, they, I was one of eighteen chosen. Nice. Um, yeah. So you have this Harvard education behind you. Yeah. What do you do with it? Uh, you try to pay your bills. You, know? <laughs> you try to pay your bills. You know, it, it was good that I think I, I chose Harvard because, I, you know, being on the other side now, I, I see all the bullshit. I'm sorry, can we curse? No, no, I'm sorry. I'm just... I'm, um, and they, the programs teach the same thing. And like I said, mine was unique because we had the Russian component, which I think kind of set it the program aside, yeah. apart from other people, set it apart. Um, but like for example, Juilliard and NYU's staff, their their teaching staff, it's the same. They 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 have they share acting teachers. Yeah. They share movement teachers, some of them, um, and then whatever the school's philosophy is, you may have, like Juilliard had four. Voice coaches, fortune speech coaches. We had one or two. Okay. Um, actually, we had three. Um, and we had two or three acting, uh, we had four acting teachers. Um, so, yeah, you know, they're all teaching the same thing, same thing, how to use your instrument to tell stories. And when you're doing it theatrically in the, in, in the theater, um, that story needs to read to the person at the back wall, and they were paid. They paid money to see this, so they get a show too. Right. Um, and uh, the, how to be the most expressive, you know, with all the tools that you have. Now, does the industry respond to that Howard education in any way? Like it's Harvard. What, I'm sorry. What difference? Said Howard. What difference did it make? <laughs> she said in the Howard. Industry. Harvard. I'm sorry. <laughs> You see where my mind is. My mind is on how. But I was a great school, by the way. Great program. Great program. Great program. Did they? Did the industry respond? Well, I think um, in the theater, when you have um, when you have an MFA, when you see you've gone through a specific course of study, mm-hmm. and you've concentrated, dedicated your life to a in a concentrated period to study the craft of acting and and telling stories, uh, storytelling. I think it's it's respected. I think um, there's definitely a, an expectation that you should be able to do certain things if you come out of a conservatory program, uh, if you hold an MFA. There's a, a, an expectation. Does not necessarily mean that you're good. It just means that you're trained and that, uh-huh. that you should be able to have a, a conversation, a an, an informed theatrical conversation, a conversation about theatricality of... of, of Stories, how to make theater. So you know we're talking about, you know mise en scène, or the 
staging of the play. You should understand what I mean when I say that, if you have an MFA. So is it geared more toward theater than film no. or television? Well, well th- film and television is definitely a craft. Uh, there are some schools that focus more. Like I think CalArts, they have a, a on-camera acting class. We didn't. I mean, we did one project with on-camera. We talked about it. But I think the, the idea is that essentially storytelling is essentially the same, whether it's in theater, whether it's in television, film, and that is telling the truth. You're telling a story about people and there should be a certain level of humanity that's respected and that's present and if you are the vessel that has um, been chosen to tell this story you should do it truthfully and as honestly and as as respectfully as possible now there is a different craft you know when you're acting for television as I'm finding out as I'm getting more doing more television um, things are smaller and and it and, and, it, and I think that's because television, has television acting has been now I don't want to say reduced because that sounds judgmental but it it's more about behaviors mm-hmm. like watching people behave on camera yeah. and in school they don't want you behaving you should be pursuing something that's what you spend two and a half three at Juilliard's four years learning to do how to pursue an action okay how to activate the play, how to activate the role, the lines. Act. It should be active. I'm talking to you because I have an intent. I'm trying to get you to understand what I'm saying about acting in the conservatory via this podcast, speaking into this, it's intent behind it. Whereas television theater has been, become more about behavior. Now, um, there are directors that, and writers who write that require you to have a, a certain facility with language and a certain uh, skill set that requires you, that allows you to be able to take a piece of text and distill it down to a playable action. Like the Cohen brothers, the Hughes brothers, the, particularly the Cohen brothers, though, the Hughes brothers too. Um, they write movies that you, you have to be able to do that. It's, not, it's beyond behavior. And if you don't have the facility with language and you can't utilize text, for example, um, and what I mean by that, like, on stage, you, 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 you use the language. You know, it's, language is powerful. You use words to convey meaning. Right. Whereas um, there are some things you write, it's just a bunch of fluff. Some things you read, written, that it's just a bunch of fluff. It's about how you behave. You know, are you cute and quirky and... Or just interesting behavior. Uh-huh. There's none really behind. It's just a veneer. That's why you have movie stars. Because their behaviors have become popular and monetized. Okay. People will go to the movies to watch this person behave a certain way. Right. And they, a lot of people will go to movies and watch that person behave. So that person has box office trying to become a movie star. Because of their behavior, not necessarily their acting. Yeah, well, their acting is their behavior, but it's they're being most times they're being themselves. They're just behaving like themselves. Um, And that's why I say versus their acting because I think one person can act and can look like 
they, they come across as different people. Well, you got character actors right. who really can transform. Yes. They, again, that's about understanding that this person in these circumstances are trying to get something. Exactly. Versus a person in these circumstances will behave a certain way. They're more responding to the circumstances versus who am I in these circumstances versus what do I want in these circumstances? What am I doing? You know, what the hell? Why am I in this room talking? Yeah. Versus, you know. Um, Just being in the let room. Me, you know, let me, lick my, <laughs> let me lick my lips and or, you know, turn my face a certain way and, and it, it becomes quirky and popular and people want to see that. You know, versus, like, I'm trying to think of people. Oh, yeah, um, particular people. Okay. You don't want to call anybody okay. <laughs> So, okay, you finished Harvard. Mm -hmm. You do theater first? Yeah, I spent 12 years on stage. Actually, 15. I um, I did a play. So the first play out of, out of Harvard was Jitney, the play that I saw by August Wilson that made me want to become an actor. Okay, in full circle. Yeah, and I did it with the director who founded the theater that developed August Wilson as a playwright. Very nice. And I became a member of that theater, um, it's called okay. Penumbra Theater in St. Paul, Minnesota. Okay. It's 40-plus years old. Um, and those that ensemble of actors um, helped August develop that voice uh, that we hear in his canon of work. Um, but I did theater for 15 years, and I, after I did Jitney, I went to L.A. for three months. I, I moved out there. But then stuff kind of went awry and went sour, and I was just... After spending that much time and energy on studying to act to act for the stage, I was just hungry. I was like, "What? What do you do out here?" Everybody was sitting around waiting, people depressed, and and you know they weren't doing anything. And now, what this was your LA. intention behind going to LA? What was well, a friend of mine invited me out there. Uh, he he said that it was it would be it would be in my best interest to get out there because I just finished the school. I'm just coming off this hit play and. And there's stuff to do. We have work, and you know, let's do it. And I get out there, and um, we had stuff to do. But it, you know, LA is hurry up and wait, you know. Oh, yeah. And 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 then, and I think a lot of people they get they get pulled into the into the zeitgeist, you know. They buy into the zeitgeist of of you, you have no power. You not you you you're not in control. You have to wait for the powers that be to call you and summon you. Whereas now we're seeing that that's been bullshit all of our life. The the way the climate of the the thing is now, people YouTube and and the distribution channels and streaming has just bust this thing wide open. Yeah, and create your own content. Create your own content, and you can monetize it. Yeah. That was the big thing. People was like, well, how do you make money off of it? How do you make money off of a short? How do you make money off of it? It's advertising. Yeah. It is now proven. And it's always been proven. We just you know again we wait for them to tell us that it's okay, that people will watch content on their phones. On the planes, on the computers, on their watches, wherever they can be distracted or consume something, consume entertainment, they will do it. Yes. And so that's why in every mode of, of media consumption, there is an ad. Yes. So there was that. So, and then after, you know, we, so we did it, and I just didn't, I, I was just artistically starving. I said, this, I can't sit around and wait like this, yeah. you know, and then. My situation was a little rocky. 
living situation. So I just said, you know what? It's uh, I called the guy I just worked with, Lou Bellamy, who just did Jitney, and said, man, I need to get on stage. I I, I, I need to do something. And it's like, well, your timing is impeccable because I am directing this new play, um, new relationship with these people out in D.C. that I think you'd be perfect for, but you got to audition. I don't have casting autonomy because it's a new thing. So I'm cool. He said, yeah, well, I'll be in D.C. holding auditions. Um, the next month or something like that. And I so I bought a ticket, and uh, I left L.A., went home, went to D.C., auditioned, booked it, came back to Chicago, then went back to L.A. to kind of wrap up some stuff, and then I just said, I'm going to spend the next 10 years getting good and working on, you know, craft of acting in theater and yeah in theater just just live I, I want to do that I want to know that I know what I'm doing well tell me this you live on the east coast mm -hmm. at this time mm -hmm. now why did you feel it necessary to move to the east coast versus staying in Chicago because Chicago has a lot of shows right. happening a lot of Dick Wolf specials well, the from from the business standpoint, just you know, as I as I spent those ten years on stage, or it were actually ten total of fifteen years doing theater. Just and a solid ten where I just didn't really pursue television at all. Just I'm I'm a stage actor. In in during that time, I had a really I had a chance because I wasn't so pressed by television. I had a chance to kind of look just observe the business and see how things are made things things are perceived how people are perceived how are people monetizing things how where are they placing value and how does an entity becomes valued chicago is an incredible town but in the world of media and entertainment and I'll probably be crucified for saying this, but I challenge anybody to prove me wrong. You are still looked upon as the second city. To New York. To the industry. Okay. And here's why. Every, when, when shows come to shoot in Chicago, 95% of the jobs, and when I say job, I'm talking about the talent. Yeah. Where you're on television every week. Or enough episodes of that on that series enough times during that a season with enough episodes whereby you can legitimately say I'm earning a living in television. Those jobs are always given out before they get here. And they come from L.A. and New York. Okay. The series regulars, L.A. and New York. Every Dick Wolf show, every show that's shot in Chicago right now, presently, if you look on the show, you may have one, two, maybe three people as series regulars. Chicago PD, one Chicago guy that's a series regular, Leroy Hawkins. Chicago Fire, I think I had, I know Joe Minoso was a series regular. I think he moved to L.A., booked it, and then moved back to Chicago. Mm. And then you have... You know, the Chicago staples like uh, Christian Nolte. Nolte is, was a, is a series regular. Um, the Shy has 
one, two, three, four, five. I think they just made this boy Barton Fitzpatrick. I think he's a series regular now. Um, uh, that boy, young man. Sorry. Um, but that's it. Most most of the, everybody else is coming from New York, L.A., and their series regulars. New Amsterdam, Chicago Med, Chicago Fire, Chicago PD, um, Utopia. There's so if you want a job, an opportunity to job, you got to go where they're doing, where they're giving the jobs. So by the time they get here, because of the contracts and stuff, they need certain people to be local hires, a certain percentage to be local right. hires, the tax, tax incentives, mm -hmm. and because you know just the phenomenon of supply and demand. They can probably um, dictate how they're going to um, employ the people here. Now, crew is different. Yeah, you know, you need crew. Crew is that's just a standard. You need people to do those jobs. So, and there's rates, and you you know, if if, if I can get a world class DP that, that lives here, why the hell am I going to fly somebody? From? And and usually that's more of a relationship thing. You get yeah. somebody who's hired to direct the show. They have their guy. You know, and their guy had their guy, his guys, right. but actors, and work like this. So you got local hires, and then you have, uh, um, you got your, your 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 yeah, you got your local hires, and you have your guest stars, your co-stars. I give you a prime example. I did a show here called Chicago PD. I had one, two, three scenes in this. I was, it was a co-star. Day rate. I just did FBI, Dick Wolf Show, CBS. I was in the teaser, all of maybe a minute, and then I had a scene, top of show guest star. The difference in money is huge. Yeah. So, I, I, again, they don't have to give you top of show here in Chicago. If and they don't. You're saying that you're more likely to get top of show. Well, in LA you because because that's that's kind of the the culture there. It's kind of the norm. I mean, it's business. Why am I going to pay this guy nine thousand dollars when I can pay him ten ninety eight to do the same thing? He's glad to do it mm -hmm. because there's nothing here for him to do, or there's little here for him to do. He'll do it for 1098. So why? I'm not flying nobody out. I'm not flying nobody in to do some. They will if they can't find what they're looking for here. Or if the director has enough clout where he says, I want to. And again, people don't have time to be figuring out. They want tried and proven people. Right. You know, and that usually is based on, oh, has he done a co-star before? Has he carried a, this kind of load before? Has he done it? You know, is this top of show? Well, top of show is just basically how they negotiate, how they're going to bill you. And if they bill you that way, sometimes you get the money, sometimes you don't, sometimes you get the credit. You know? Now, is that something you ask for in your negotiation? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. You know, I tell my, you know, when they, when they, well, they send it over, they say, this will be a, a guest star, a one-day guest star or a recurring guest star. I said, well, can we, one, can we get top of show? I need top of show billing. I don't know if they're doing it. You know, usually they'll say, at the stop, at the start, we're not doing any top of show billing for guest stars. It's gonna be end of show, and we're paying this. In New York, you know, or LA, 
agents and stuff will, will tell them, no, screw that. My guy, you want my guy? This is what he needs. Especially if you're somebody with some, some credits, with some a yeah. little, little heft behind your name. Um, now, why did you choose New York versus going back to L.A.? Uh, it, it's it, New York it, to me is more manageable. There is theater there. I can earn. Uh, I can get around New York. I have a community there. Um, and I'm an artist. You know, I, I, I really, I, I can't sit around waiting on somebody to call me to, yeah. to make something. Um, now, I can go to L.A. and enjoy the sun and just make, make my own stuff. But um, I do like creating in the, in the space of theater. I do like the, the, the live space. Um, there are certain stories I think have to be told in that medium. Mm-hmm. Uh, and L.A. does not, they don't respect theater at all. Okay. I mean, there, there's a, <laughs> I remember I was out there and a buddy of mine was doing a show that he was leaving and he knew that I had actually had covered this role that he was doing. And he told the lady about me. She called me up. and She said, well, come and watch the show. And I went and watched the show that night. She said, you, you going to go on tomorrow? You ready? No rehearsal, no wow. nothing. It's just, let's go. <laughs> you know, so it, it was hilarious. But, and then, I, and then I, I saw some stuff out there, you know, that not the professional stuff at the Mark Taper that they're usually bringing in. They've been running for a while. Or seasoned actors. Now, you got a lot of seasoned theater actors out there because they, they started doing television. Right. Uh, and sometimes they have, they have gaps and they want to do a play. But for the most part, ain't no theater out there. I just think... New York is 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 a, is the more feel. It's it's the kind of feel. I guess the feel that I'm I'm more suited for, okay. you know, in terms of um, how to negotiate spaces and different rooms, you know. But I love Chicago. Chicago is my home. Always be my home. But in terms of um, professional advancement, I I just think that it, it's still being shortchanged. I think it it'll change real soon. Think because people are, are, especially the way things are being made and distributed. People are seeing that um, you don't necessarily have to be a superstar to carry a show. People just want good stories, yeah, and good characters. Exactly. And so, if you are a person from Wyoming with some chops and that can do the work, then hire that person. You know, stay local. Yeah. So yeah, it, it it's all business, you know. Uh, I, and, and I know that I know that certain things were, you know, they they certain they only have certain some shows ain't giving you top of show, some shows ain't only gonna pay you a day rate, because what I won't do, there's a hundred thousand dudes lined up to say I'll do it. I'm on TV. So Give me a job. Was it difficult for you to get an agent in New York? Anywhere. Uh, Go, no, uh, an agent who can actually get you the work you in, want. In, indoors, yeah. Like I was saying, when I first went to New York, uh, I was I signed with a manager who had been wanted to work with me since I came out of the conservatory. He saw me in the showcase at the end of your conservatory experience. Every conservatory usually, um, they hold a showcase where you do scenes, and managers and agents come to watch the showcase, and they pick from the talent. Um, it's like, it's, it's a dog and pony show. It's, you know, um, 
So this manager saw me in the showcase and wanted to sign me then. But I was, again, I I was going from play to play to play. I mean, I literally lived out of four boxes. I would go from one residency to the next. So I really didn't, didn't need an agent. I had an agent here um, that, you know, they got me whatever television stuff. And when I mean they got me, they got the breakdowns. They they knew what jobs were were staffing. So I um I had an agent here. You know, of course, and then once you book something that they're like, okay, you know, we can make this guy's employable. Let's let's make some money. Um and in New York, I it, it's it was it was a little more challenging because um it's so many. Yeah. But again, you wanna you wanna make sure you're with you're in a you're in a in a shop where people answer the phone. You know, it's it's all a, a, ch- a food chain. Yeah. You got this the produ- the studios and the networks with the project. The project needs to staff it, so they call casting people. Casting people call agents and try to get people in, so that they can hire somebody for the job, or put them in front of people that somebody want to work with. So you want to be with somebody where somebody is being called for yeah. stuff that's coming out. And then you have your tears, you know, you got your 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 stuff. And this is a long conversation. But you, you, ha- you, you don't have to go through. Uh, no, no, no. But but you have, I mean, for the listeners, who want to kind of share as much as useful information as possible. But, you know, at the top, you got the ICMs, the UTAs, the William Morris and stuff like that. The CAs, they're packaging stuff. Right. So when you're at that point, you just, they're just calling you saying, we got this thing, think you'd be good for just, you know, clear your calendar. And then you have another level where you still kind of got to get in front of people. And then you have your boutique strong. I'm, I'm kind of more with a, with a boutique agency. Um, they say they're boutique, but I think they're growing. They're getting out of, growing out of the boutique um, category. Um, but I walked in. Um, I, I, I did a, I did a, a, a gig um, at Lincoln Center, and I told the casting director there that I ran into her and said, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for some representation. And God bless her, you know, she's a beautiful lady. She sent my stuff out. And I got a call to audition from a casting director for The Blacklist. And then I booked that. And then I asked her if she, I'm told I was looking for a shop. And so she set up two meetings for me. And I you know, chose one. Nice. Yeah. Now, how involved are you? Because at one point in time... I, I knew quite a bit about the negotiations between the studio and the actors' representation. Mm-hmm. How involved are you in that negotiation? Is it all up to you? Well, well, uh, yeah, it's always up to you to say yes or no to whatever they present before you. But you know, most of this stuff is already pre- is negotiated by the union. I mean, there's a minimum to everything, mm-hmm. and and like I said, depending on where you are and who you are. They'll say they'll offer you something and expect you to be grateful, and if you're not, then just move on to the next person. Like for, go ahead. I'm sorry. So, have you had an occasion where they offered you something and you said, you know, let's see if we can get? I had some. It, it wasn't about money. It was more about availability. Like I had a job that um, it wasn't clear whether it was an offer. You know, they care for how they word stuff, but I clearly was the guy who the director wanted. And instead of saying, um, we like to offer him the role of da-da-da-da-da, 
they wanted to check my availability. Now, that's new language that's developed over the last five or ten years, check avail. Okay. Because once you're on hold for so long, they got to start paying you a holding fee. So instead of holding you, they'll say, you're on check avail. And, you know, if you're, again, being in a smaller market, I'm on check avail. I can't do nothing within these ten days because I don't want to blow, blow it. But you're not hired. You don't, they haven't offered you anything. And oftentimes you're being you're released from your check avail when they figure out. And when you do a check avail, they're pro- you're probably one of three or four people that they're choosing. You don't necessarily know right. what's the order of, of priority. So I um, they said we're checking his availability. And then I said, um, well, I'm doing a play. So I, I got to be released at this time for curtain. And um, I'm in rehearsal right now. I can get off from these days. Uh, they were like one day. Which is even for one day. And I said, well, oh. well, choose one of these days. Right. And then they moved on to somebody else. Mm-hmm. Because it's, you know, it's here. And if, you know, or if the people had more clout, maybe they could have said, well, no. Let's figure out how we can make this happen with him. Right. Because I want him. Right. But, you know, it didn't happen that way. Um, that's what we were doing. We were joking off here earlier. That shouldn't have happened. It should have just simply been like, hey man, I'm going to go shoot this TV spot. I'm going to miss rehearsal and I'll be back to have the guy fill in while I'm out. We ain't even in front of people yet. Nobody paid to see this. We rehearsal. Right. It didn't happen that way. So I lost the job, you know, a potentially lucrative job. But you can always say no. You can always say no. Oh, you, I got a recent thing. So I got a call to do, they're doing a new Wu-Tang thing, mm. a movie, a series to, on Amazon. Okay. And they wanted me to um, come in to play the head janitor, right? Okay. It's a one-day gig. That series may last for two, three seasons. So I told the agency, no, I'm not, I don't want to go in for that. Um, it used to be a time where I would go in just to be seen by a new casting director. Yeah. But that's, I found out, you know, that sometimes can be frowned upon because if you're offered and you turn it down, again, the casting director is trying to, they, they, that's your job. Right. I brought you in here. I sent you before these people who, who hired me. Why don't you want the job? Right. Oh, well, I want to hold out for something bigger. Now you pissed her off or him off. Yeah. Because now you got to go back. They have to do their job twice. So I said, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to burn myself up. For, for a potentially larger part on a series that might last two or three seasons. So it's stuff like that. So I, I said no, because um, that, that was only going to pay, again, day rate, 10.8, 10.98, when I just did a top of show. Right. So I've done six co-stars. I don't, I don't want to do no more. It's guest star, series, we're trying to grow. Okay. Guest stars, recurring. Now, if you give me a recurring co-star where well, I'm on 10 episodes in the season... I'll take 15 grand, you know, or, you know, bump. All right, we've done three. Can we get a little bit more on this one? But again, again, where you are in the market, wherever market you're in, sometimes people don't want to rock the boat. They'll, yeah. take, the, they'll take the money that's on the table and, and keep it pushing. Yeah. So well, you this gotta, was LA, though. Yeah. Well, and, you know, well, they, well, people that, rock the boat but in that LA. Was, that was, yeah, that was their, their, their fault because they should have exactly. said, I need more money. You know it's there. Again, it's, well, it's I, was, I asked you that because 
my inquiry or my curiosity was about, well, I wonder if that agent or whatever rep title they had actually talked to the talent. Probably did. Everybody's trying to grow. Everybody's trying to eat consistently and trying to increase the amount that they eat. It's a, it's a pecking. It's a food chain. So if, you know, that casting person or whoever was doing the job, you know, they probably had to turn tricks to get the job. So let me just do a good job with minimum amount of resistance and the minimum amount of, of, of screw-ups so they'll hire me again. So you somebody's going to get sold up the stream. So he probably didn't even call the person. He said, "Hey, listen, this is what they, this is what this is." That's happened to me here in here in Chicago when I was working. When I was based here, when I would say, "But no, wait a minute, I've done two seasons of this show as a recurring guest star, yeah. a co-star." I'm sorry, which is the bottom of the food chain. Well, not the bottom because then you got five lines. You got it was. Significant enough for me to ask for some more money. Yeah. I said, y'all can't get a little bump? That's what it is. Yeah. That's what it is. Okay, all right, well, I'll take it. Then, you know, you, you go through these little things, and they kind of inform your decisions as to how, depending on what your career goals are, whether you need to change change markets. I think eventually, um, just how the nature of things um, I think L.A., Los Angeles will always be the hub for entertainment and media. But New York is the epicenter of the world. It's where all the business happens. That's Wall Street. Right. You know, so um, then, of course, out west, you got Silicon Valley. That's so tech world. That's right tech, there. but that's a bunch of money out there. Yeah. That's all those funding these projects. But, excuse me, um, something takes me out there. That's funny you mentioned that. I'm just sitting there putting together a plan. Well, I have a, several different projects. I I have a, a solo show that I have, I have a, a brand that I, I created called A Brown Tale, which was a play, a solo play, that I'm turning into a television show, a book, and a film. Okay. Uh, I have that. I'm also writing a musical right now based on, uh, I can't, I ain't gonna say it, somebody might no. steal my stuff. Right, um, I'm writing a musical, first attempt at writing, writing a musical and I'm still writing for the stage so I got several different things that I'm creating and uh, what's the goal? to have them all made have them all made so just a ton of timeline um, so by 2020 I, I want to have the the concert film of a brown tail shot made and available for consumption. I want to have uh, the musical in, in development being workshop. I want to have the pilot in front of people of a brown tail in front of people and the film. So I have a lot of writing to do. So by this time next year stuff will be we'll be talking about these projects and different phases of their of their lives. Yeah, that would be cool to, yeah. to hear the update on yeah. this project. Yeah. Now, what advice would you give to people who are maybe just starting out and want to go be, be a actor? doctor? Go be a doctor. Go be a lawyer. Come on now. <laughs> Serious, man. You have to. Um, like I said, I, I I never 
wanted to do this. Um, as an artist, it's challenging because I'm finding more people, and I, I please, I hope this doesn't sound, oh, fuck that, I'm not apologizing for anything. It, 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 I value more so today than I did before when I find an artistic collective of like-minded people yeah. That are about the work, about doing great shit. Okay. That that just it's not about getting put on. It's not about you know getting in the game. It's about I'm trying to create something that will last forever. So artistically, you know, I, I, I've I've been challenged because I, I'm constantly running into people. Me and some other people, I'm not alone, are running into people uh, that are in this business, that they're in the business for the business. Mm -hmm. They don't care about art. They don't care about making great shit. They're about making money. Yeah. And I'm about making money too. But I, I think um, I have a dual, and dual purpose for my efforts. Um, I mean, again, initially my goal was to become some CEO of some major Fortune 500 company. And make a bunch of money and, and you know retire with a bunch of kids and die an alcoholic or something. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> um, but I came to theater and to the creative spaces by what I saw, something great. So that's my benchmark. And I think if, you know, to young people, know why you, you're, you're getting in this business. Because it's a business called show business. It's not show friendship. It's not show cuteness. It's show business. This is a business. Right. And like any other business, it's about how can I maximize my economies of scale? How can I maximize what I'm doing for the most amount of return, the highest return, the greatest return? which in, in this case, money, um, or exposure or whatever the value is placed on the entity. Know why you're getting it. If you want to be a movie star, if you want to be, uh, if you want to get in to make money, then just know that and don't be ashamed of it. But don't present yourself a posture like you, you, you're, in, you're in this for the art when you're not because you're going to get frustrated. And you will be exposed. So, you know, I'm, I'm like now, I'm a gun for hire. I make no qualms about it. No, I don't, I'm not doing anything free. No, I'm not coming to, you know, do your your little daughter's uh, or son's move, move. No. I have bills to pay. I'm a gun for hire. And I have no Now, there's certain stuff I'm not going to do. Mm -hmm. um, there's not enough, enough money that you can pay me to do certain things. But um, there's a lot of things that I will do if the price is right. And I'm not ashamed of saying that. I am a gun for whore. For hire. A gun for whore. <laughs> <laughs> a gun. Before you slip, I'm a gun for whore. Gun for hire. Um, but, but I, I you know, know, know why you get in the business. Um, that's one. That's first and foremost. Secondly, you know, you put the time in. You know, don't just wake up one day and say, I want to be an actor. And then you did a play. Now you think you're an actor. Study. Go read plays. Go, go, if you don't want to do theater, don't do theater. But go put the time in 
in television. Go, you know, work on sets, television sets, movie sets. Uh, find somebody who, who, who's creating in that space who you think you can, you want, like to mentor you. Uh, study their work. Study their process. Study their journey. But put your 200 or 10,000 hours, I like to say, in uh, a practice to get good in whatever it is you want to do. Uh, and now, you know, you have more tools at your disposal now. You have social media. You have all this technology. It's, I think it's the barriers of entry are a, a lot uh, lower now with, with all these tech, with the technology. People are looking. You know, yeah. do it. We have Just, well-known directors creating films exactly, on Exactly. Exactly. Actually, that's something I'm getting ready to do now. I'm going to shoot a, a five-minute short on the iPhone. But you know that's that. Just just commit. Just throw yourself into it, wholeheartedly, a hundred percent. Don't you know? Don't bullshit yourself. Don't be out here acting like you really want to be involved in something, and all you want to do is you have your little fifteen seconds of fame, fifteen minutes of fame. If that is the case, then do it. Get, get, go get go go uh, go kiss a dog in the middle of Madison Estate and let people videotape it, and then you'll be famous. But I mean. Don't think that you're going to get in the business and, and try to find shortcuts. All the shortcuts lead to the same place, a dead end. Mm -hmm. All of them. You can sleep your way through the business, that, that comes to an end. You can lie and bullshit your way through the business, that comes to an end. Um, but you, you know, you should get, get just be prepared to work and be, be nice, be kind. You know? Don't be a pushover. Don't be afraid to have a, an opinion. Don't be afraid to challenge. But be a little humble. Yeah. But, you know, but people, I think that word is so misused. Humble? Yeah. People think what they think humility is, it's not humility. Mm -hmm. Because somebody is conflict-averse, and they're quiet, and they're smiley, and they're nice. But that person will stab their friend in the back. They've been sleeping on somebody's couch rent-free, and then when they get their leg up, they won't even return a person's phone call. That's not humility. That's well, a no, but I'm saying, well, my suggestion is being humble in the true sense of the word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, people, some people say, I'm not humble. But then you ask other people, say, oh, he's the nicest, one of the nicest, humble people I know. People think because you have confidence and a, a self-awareness and a self-assurance that you're not humble. You need that in this business. Confidence. You need confidence. You need self-assurance. Doubting yourself is, is death. Yeah. You can't do that. You got to know who you are. Um, because people are, are just lined up to take a shot at you. But, you know, you have people that, like I said, they, they, they pretend to be this nice, humble person, and they're not. And they yeah. think that you are a person who's arrogant and, and conceited because you know who you are and you know your worth and you won't just let people run over you. Oh, he's arrogant. I've had people call me arrogant and, and I ask them why. Like, you, just, you just are. But why? What did I do to you that showed you arrogance? Because I'm, I'm aware of who I am. I'm confident in who I am. But then the same, they'll see my white counterpart and this is going to some social political shit, but they'll see my white counterpart with even more panache 
and self-confidence. Oh, he's just, he's just, you know, he's the man. He should be like that. Yeah, he should be like that. Like, who do you think you are to walk down the street? People used to give me shit for my name. Why do you say your name? Why do you put your T in your name? Why do you say your whole name? James T. Alfred. Who do you think you are? I'm James T. Alfred. <laughs> my mother named me James. Da-da-da, Alfred. It starts with a T. So why, why shouldn't I do it? Yeah. Like, yeah, he got to tell you his whole name. I do. <laughs> I do. Nothing wrong with being proud of your name. Exactly. Oh, you think you're the best. I am. Until you prove me wrong. <laughs> right? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Anything else you'd like to offer to summarize our conversation? No, man. I mean, we've been kind of been all over the place. Um, I didn't know if that's how you wanted it. Um, but, I, I, you know, I, I really hope that we get back to a place where it, it's about the work and it's not about not causing problems you know so many people are into this this vein of I just need to get along to get along go along to get along you know it's bullshit artists especially we are accountable for the world being in the condition that it's in yes if artists don't tell the truth then who, who else we are the truth tellers you know if you don't call and I'm just not talking about getting on something, some movement that's popular. Talking about rolling your sleeves up when you're doing the work. Like when you're doing a play and it's a new play and you're, and you're in there and the shit ain't making sense on the page. Don't be afraid to tell the playwright that's why you're supposed to be there. And if they're, and, and they're not receptive to that, then they don't want their play better. Yeah. They don't want their film better. You know, I, I like people that shoot straight from the hip with me. The guy that gave me, um, um, that partnered with me to do a brown tail. I remember when I gave him the proposal to, to, to get into the business, he told me, he said, man, this is a piece of shit. He told me just like that. Now, I could have bowed my head and said, damn, that's kind of harsh. <laughs> he said, I don't know what I'm looking at. What did he said, I'm a finance guy. I read stories told in numbers. And I said to him, well, I don't know that language. Mm, that's being Maybe this, this is not the right time, but can I ask a favor? Will you sit with me for a couple hours and show me how this should be written and formatted so that the next time I have this opportunity, I'm not offending anybody. Right. Come by my house Friday, I'll, I'll sit down with you. Nice. He took the thing, did it the way it's supposed to be done. By the time I got there Friday, we had a deal. He's like, now see, this... When I put this, this out that narrative shit that you gave me and put it in, in the financial narrative, this seems like gospel music to me. Let's do this, baby. Wrote me a check. But you see, if, if in, in this in this new age, fuck that guy. Why did he talk to me like that? That's you know, that's so arrogant of well, him. That goes back to humility though. You were humble enough to say I don't know that language. But but the guy, but the nice guy that that's smiling and 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 would turn and who feigns humility would turn and call their their colleagues and friends. That guy's an asshole. You know, I, you know what he said to me. And don't let it be a male female dynamic. How does a man talk to me like that? I don't want him talking to me like that. 
Or if it's a black-white dynamic, how that white man talk to me like that? No, I want something. He has something I want. Sure, let me humble myself. Apparently this wasn't, I didn't come correct. But I, I'm correct now. I bet you nobody will be able to tell me this is bullshit. I'll put a proposal in front of them now that will blow their minds in any arena. Nice. You know, so you know. I, I guess in, in conclusion, is is you know, knowing who you are, have a, have a tough skin in this business. Be humble for real. Be hardworking. Be diligent. Be kind. You know, just 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 treat people like you want to be treated. And, 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 and be committed to what you're doing. I think those two things will open doors and uh, take you far. Nice. And tell the audience who you are again and what you do. My name is James T. Alfred. I'm an actor, writer, producer, director, educator. And uh, I work in theater and television and film. Thank you, James T. Alfred. Thanks for having me. Enjoying the Vision of the Blue All Things Media conversation. Thank you for having me. Look forward to seeing your projects. I look forward to sharing them. All right.